seriously popular. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In today's episode... Why it's brainless to doubt David Moyes. Have Crystal Palace fans got delusions of grandeur? And Premier League clubs, would you please just stop with the letters? I'm Ian Ladyman. I'm Chris Sutton. And it's all kicking off. Well, Storm Aisha has blown a hole through our plans this morning. Chris and I are unable to get together in the studio in London. Chris is marooned in his farmhouse in Norfolk. I'm in a hotel room in London. Chris, first of all, are you okay? Any damage? Any damage overnight? You did mention something before about a netball post has been blown over. Yes, my netball post, well, not my netball post, my daughter's netball post uh, blew over. And I'm a little bit worried about the hedging. Um, My son planted a, what are you (laughs) laughing at? My son planted a hedge. Wildlife corridors. I'm big, we're big on wildlife corridors in in this family. Planted a hedge and I'm just worried that uh, he did, he planted it in the summer. I'm just worried about whether... It's a lot of it's been blown out, a lot of damage to the hedge. He he, he messaged me actually uh, this morning very early and said, please check the hedge. So that's what I'm doing after this pod. But this pod takes precedence. What's a wildlife corridor? It's a hedge. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to say we're trying to save the world. I mean, you're a respected journalist, and you don't know what a wildlife corridor is. We're trying to join <laughs> the hedges up so the so the wildlife has has somewhere to go. You haven't done, have you done any of that rewilding that everybody is that is all the rage these days? Essentially, you just let you, you just let your garden grow and grow and grow. <laughs> excuse not to cut the grass, basically. Excuse not to my, cut the grass. My wife would argue I've done that for the last twenty years since we've been here, but we we have done that, and it is actually really important. I hope you start doing it. The bees are so important for the planet. And I plant bee friendly um, bee friendly plants in in my garden. In, in South Manchester, in my little suburban plot in South Manchester, I do have bee, bee-friendly, bee-friendly uh, plants. I absolutely do. Okay, well, the storm ice is blowing, but it hasn't hasn't blown the football off course. We had um, a decent weekend, given that we only had a handful of games. And I want to go, first of all, to Bramall Lane yesterday. Uh, Sheffield United 2, West Ham United 2, late penalty uh, for Sheffield United in the 103rd minute, I believe, which I think is the latest ever Premier League uh, goal. Ollie McBurney scoring it. But I want to go to something that appeared on the BBC website after that game. I didn't see the game. I was travelling. Went to BBC site to have a look at the details. And the headline on the match report of that match says, Pressure mounts for West Ham boss Moyes. Last time I looked, West Ham was six in the Premier League and had just beaten Arsenal away and Manchester United at home. What on earth is that about? I think I don't know anybody uh, in the world of football who thinks that David Moyes hasn't done an, an excellent job at West Ham and who thinks at this moment in time that David Moyes is 
under pressure for his job. I, I don't I don't understand that headline. In truth, I think it's deeply, deeply unfair on David Moyes, uh, and you know, really unnecessary. We talk about the game yesterday. I'm not. I'm not saying West Ham played well. I think David Moyes came out and said it was one of their worst performances of the season, but they were on the wrong end of a you know a couple of poor decisions uh, at the end. I don't think the Sheffield United penalty was a penalty. If anything, McBurney fouled uh, Ariola. I thought it was a fifty-fifty. Uh, I thought it was a clear and obvious error. I'm I'm really surprised they didn't check that. And then I th- I thought it was a a penalty on uh, on on Jared Bowen. Uh, just a moment after that. So so West Ham were wronged. You're right, they're in sixth place. I think they topped their Europa League group. Um, they had key players missing, and I know a lot of teams have to have to put up with injuries, but no Paqueta, no uh, Alvarez, no Kudus, who's been an exceptional piece of business. Uh, David Boyce has done a phenomenal job. I don't know, I, I, I don't know why we're even arguing this, Ian. Well, we're, we're not arguing it, but I, no. I don't... I, I, I don't I don't understand where that uh, where that headline has come from. In truth, this is not um, a dig at the BBC at, at all. Um, well, I hope not, because because I one of I, your I exactly <laughs> exactly one, basically your main employer. So don't think we need to do this. Not a dig at the BBC at all. It's 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 just a, a, a comment on the fact that this is even a subject for debate. Essentially, when David Moyes replaced uh, Maxwell Corney with uh, Ben Johnson, a fullback, during yesterday's game, there were calls. It was referenced on Match Today. There were chants from the away end of "You don't know what." you're doing well that that was really interesting wasn't it because uh the west ham fans or a, a section of the west ham fans did did sing that um but then when ben johnson came on west ham had had greater control towards the end of the game uh didn't they so it it seems like david moyes did know what he's doing and has known what he's doing since he's been at west ham and you you know you do have to, you do have to remember the history of of moyes at west ham and Remember when they put uh, Pellegrini in charge and were expecting some sort of fantasy football, and then they back back to David Moyes, uh, dotting the cap in hand. You know, come back and save us. It's not only saved them; he's kicked them on. They've had a, uh, what three incredible seasons, won a European competition. They're flying this season, done some shrewd word, uh, work in the transfer market, and sixth in the Premier League. Ahead of the likes of Brighton, who everybody always raves about, is at three points behind uh, Tottenham, and uh, and his his job is on the line. Really, they would have been three points behind Tottenham, who we all think are having this incredible season under Ange Postecoglou. They would have been three points behind Tottenham had they not um, conceded that late penalty um, yesterday. But that's kind of picking it. That's kind of picking at the minutiae of it. I've been a bit sniffy well, very sniffy about the Europa Conference League. I am always sniffy about the Europa Conference League. I described it last season as football's version of the egg and spoon race, um, which is unfair and is certainly unfair to West Ham. Have you ever won an egg and spoon race? Somebody once said when I was playing football, I looked like an egg on legs. Um, But that's a different... That's a different conversation. Do you have egg and spoon races up north? Oh, there we go. There we go. Rude about the north again. New Year's resolution broken for the eighth time. It's only January the 22nd. Um, So we... I've been sniffy about that competition, but the fact is that that you cannot be sniffy about the job that David Moyes has done at West Ham and continues to do at West Ham. I thought they would struggle this season. They haven't. Um, 
and I just I think it's extraordinary. I think it's absolutely extraordinary that he's getting the criticism, the questions are being the being asked. Um, you know, they haven't won since that game at the Emirates. Where just I think it was just be just after after Christmas. Um, they've got they've been knocked out of the FA Cup. That won't help. You and I speak before. I've spoken before about the value of winning cup competitions to keep things going. That will not have helped him. However. For him to be positioned to be questioned, the future of David Moyes to be questioned is a joke, um, you, you, as you say so yourself. Now, before we move out of this game, um, so that there were a, a few contentious decisions. We're not going to go into them all, but the one in the very last minute where Jared Bowen was um, resting in the penalty area with Armour Dodgic. This is at two all. So this is after McBurney's penalty to equalise. And he's wrestled to the ground. And um, there was a... The, the TNT uh, pundits, Joe Cole, Rio Ferdinand, were, were absolutely certain in their mind that it was a penalty. Um, but Armadogic himself took to Twitter last night to say, clearly biased, it's been edited to make it look like a penalty to West Ham. So there you go. If Chris Wilder, the Sheffield United manager, wanted a backs-to-the-wall mentality at Bramall Lane, it sounds as though he's got it because one of his central defenders is accusing one of the Premier League's major right holders of editing footage to make it look like he fouled Jared Bowen. For what it's worth, by the way, I thought it was six to one and half a dozen. So to be honest, I don't think it was a penalty. I, I thought it was a penalty. Uh, look, uh... Joe Cole and Rio Ferdinand have a have a connection to West Ham. You know, of course they do, but I don't think that they edited, um, you know, the, the footage. It's uh, it's not North Korean television, is it? Just got this image. Just got this image now of Joe Cole and Rio Ferdinand in the in the TV truck in the car park at Bramall Lane with kind of uh, with rolls of film, spools of film at their uh, at their feet with a pair of scissors in their hands. <laughs> Now the art of, I thought the art of letter writing <laughs> I thought the art of letter writing had had disappeared from our society. I thought it was all emails and text messages and WhatsApps and all the rest of it and messages on uh, Facebook and all the rest of it. But thanks to our Premier League football clubs, the art of letter writing is alive and well. Nottingham Forest are the latest to throw their toys out of the pram and write a letter to the PGMOL referees body, writing to the Premier League, etc., to complain about the Ivan Tony free kick um, in their defeat at Brentford on Saturday. For those of you who've been on the moon, Tony on his first uh, marks his first game back after his eight-month ban by scoring a free kick to equalise in the game, the controversial part of it being that he moved the ball twice, actually, about a foot to the right of where it was originally stationed, even moved the referee's bit of magic foam to make it look as though it was in the right position, and then curled the ball round the wall and into the goal. Nottingham Forest are unhappy about that. I don't. I don't know the way you view it, uh, Ian. Was it was it cheating? Was he trying to gain an advantage? But where does the primary uh, blame lay? And uh, and uh, and it lies with the Nottingham Forest players. I for the life of me, I, I even even an under twelves team would have seen a player moving a ball, thinking they're trying to gain an advantage. And I'm sure somebody would have told the, the teammates to shuffle across to stop him just passing it into the back of the net. So these players are paid tens of thousands of pounds a week to switch on 
and have a responsibility. And I think it was Yates at the end of the wall who had his back turned. I'm not I'm not going to blame him. Um, you know, he communicates with the goalkeeper. But there I think there were there was the player outside the wall. And then they had another three players, four players in the wall. I think another player had his back turned, actually. And then they had the draft excluder as well with his, with his back turned. But there were three players who must have seen what was going on and and didn't do anything about it. Why not just say, shuffle across, he's moving the ball, we can all see what he's trying to do. Do anything. Bring the referee's attention to it, anything. But you, I don't I don't see that uh, the, the blame lies with, with Ivan Tony. He got away with something. Um and, you know, try to gain an advantage. Some people would call it cheating. But the Nottingham Forest players have to take great responsibility. The club should write to the players in the wall and tell them that they are fools. That's what they should do. I would like that if that happened. Send that's a letter, they, that's to, what a they letter should do. To, to what, each of their houses. What, You're a fool. Yeah, what were you... What, You're a fool. Love Nuno. Yeah, love Nuno. But honestly, I mean... Do they do they need somebody to tell them that? Can't they think for themselves? This is everybody talks about it being the best league in the world, and players are so dumb like that. They just switch off. It was honestly, Ian, you watch it, it was so obvious what he was trying to do, right? So how how can they not see that? It's not it's 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 just a total lack of responsibility. I mean, you talked about wildlife corridors. I mean, there's a wildlife corridor down the side of that wall, wasn't there? Uh, and you, you've co- you've actually called the forest defenders moronic in a column that you've written in our in our verdict pullout this morning and on our digital platforms. Moronic. I had a look at it yesterday when I was on the train, and I paused it where, for, at the point where Tony starts to mess about with the ball. All of eleven, all of Forest's eleven players are in the penalty area at that point. Not a single one of them is looking at Ivan Tony. Not a single one of them is looking at Ivan. But Tony. what are they looking so at? Who? Each other, uh, the sky, the ground, um, the you know. I, I, you'd see, I mean, I think, but seriously, none of them were looking at Ivan Tony. But who's to blame? Who's to blame? My instinct is that the goalkeeper is to blame. That's that's my instinct. That the goalkeeper is to blame because he surely is the one who arranges his wall am i right they are they are all to blame i it it is it is a collective you, so is it the goalkeeper's responsibility but you can't you can't sort of advocate responsibility and and, and make everybody else blameless it comes down to this as far as i can see what in that moment ivan tony is taking a free kick what is the biggest danger? What's the worst thing which can which can happen in that moment? And he's trying to gain an advantage. We know that he's he's a good free kick t- uh, taker, and you know normally players are looking to get it, get it up and over the wall in that moment. But you have to be switched on for every eventuality. That's your job as a player. So I don't. I for the life of me, I don't understand what the other players in the wall were doing. If you're saying they're looking down at the feet. Looking up in the sky, they should be they should be watching Ivan Tony and whether you know what he, whether he's trying to gain an advantage. Even how you know how how unlikely uh, you think it is, and if it's never going to happen, you you have to be aware, you have to be switched on just in case he does manoeuvre the ball a little bit, which 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 he did, and and there is the argument, um, you know, about whether he was a cheat and the stuff with the foam or whatever, but. We all know which way it works. Had a Nottingham Forest player that, uh, done the same thing at the other end, that the Nottingham Forest fans would all be saying, "Well, that's 
That's genius. One of our players doing that. What are your thoughts on the draft excluder? And just to explain, the draft excluder being the player who in the modern game lies down behind the wall. There is there or is there so that the wall can jump and is there to protect um, the goal from a free kick taker who may then attempt to roll the ball under the jumping wall and into the goal, which I think Lionel Messi did uh, quite a few years ago to some good effect. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Does it work? Is it a waste of time? Would it be better just putting an extra player on the end of the wall, a player on the post? And also, who who gets that job? Who gets that job? I mean, that's the, that's the football equivalent of being sent to field at fine leg in cricket, isn't it? You know, the youngest player on the team, the, the most inexperienced player on the team. Who gets that job? I mean, yeah. I suppose if you think about it, the tallest player should get that job because then he's the longest draft excluder possible. Yeah, or the... Or the biggest, um, maybe the if the wall. Yeah. I said, I, I said the biggest. Yeah, uh, I, I think the cricketing equivalent would be. I mean, I, this this often happened to me as a youngster, thirteen, fourteen year old, where you had an elderly spinner. You weren't you weren't put at fine leg, of course, because it was a spinner. You were put in at uh, at silly mid on, without without a helmet and all the all the sort of other people in the team would you know field in the normal positions but as a youngster you were thrown in uh, without a helmet uh charming and they were uh and and then the you know the guy would be bowling half trackers and you'd nearly get your your head knocked Brilliant. off uh, how, how how amusing it's it's not amusing I mean, seriously, but it's, uh, no no it's about character building um as a youngster or it was for me um how interesting position that nearly getting your, your head knocked off every ball um, but I mean that's 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 enough to make you find another pastime on a Saturday afternoon. I'm so that's, oh, that's no, enough to make not. you go shop. That's enough to make you go shoplifting or something. Um, anyway, the draft excluder. The, the draft. I, I I don't mind the draft excluder. Um, wasn't it, a thing in your day, though, was it? It wasn't a thing in my day. But I uh, I I played in the UEFA Cup. Uh, didn't play in this particular match. Liverpool away. Alan Thompson. Um, the wall jumped to Anfield. I don't know whether you were there that uh, that particular night. Celtic beating Liverpool two nil. Wall jumped to Anfield. Alan Thompson knew that that the wall was going to jump. Put it under the wall uh, into the corner. So you know players are switched on and are aware of that. I don't mind that. I would like to see the draft excluder uh, uh, actually face the ball and maybe had he been facing the ball um, for Nottingham Forest, then he would have spotted. Uh, Ivan's only manoeuvring the ball. I, I don't, uh, but I, no, I, I think in in terms of it um, being effective, I I think it's all clubs would have analysed that. Everybody does it, so I I think it has its merits. Hold that thought. We'll be back right after this. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Sticking with set piece chat, which I thought something I would never say on this podcast. Sticking with said set piece uh, chat. So it turns out that the Arsenal set piece coach Nicholas Yova is is the brightest man in football now that Arsenal have scored from a, a couple of corners. Yep, genius. A couple of um, couple of whipped balls into the far post, and uh, is, what's his name? Yova, you say he is a genius. Actually, but when you when you when you stripped it back, there was some. Um, some cleverness uh, in you know in the way that uh, the the delivery first of all has to be has to be spot on, but the cleverness came from uh, came from the blocking, uh, which was highlighted on match of the day, and a lot of teams do it. I used to do it as a player. Um, you know, there's this great debate about zonal marking and man to man marking. I always used to prefer uh, as an attacking player players to go man for man because you can always work a block. And then if the delivery is there, you've just mentioned Alan Thompson when I was at Celtic, he was on the money more often than not. You know, you you can create some brilliant opportunities from set plays. And that's what Arsenal did. And they, they exploited uh, Crystal Palace and especially Anderson, who is dominant in the in the air, he's there in the middle of the goal. He's the, he's the free man, and his his role is wherever the ball goes, you're our best header of the ball. You just go and attack it. You go you go and win it. So so to nullify that the way that they did it uh, was really really cute and clever. So so let's just explain that for anybody who hasn't watched it. The match of the day analysis of this on Saturday was fabulous. I thought Alan Shearer and Ashley Williams, one of the benefits of, uh, well, probably the only benefit of there being so few games on Saturday was that um, it gave the Match of Day pundits a bit more time to look to look into things with detail. And they did this section brilliantly. And what they showed, and this is why there was such talk of, of Nicholas Jova, who about, apparently, who, by the way, started, at, started with Thomas Frank at Brentford, by the way, um, and then worked with Pep at, at City uh, before uh, Arsenal stole him. Um, from there, uh, what he what Arsenal did that, that that was so clever was that they had Leonardo Leonardo Trossard, Leandro Trossard, sorry, on um, Hardy the, brothers. Absolutely, yeah. They, no wonder they were so effective. There's two of them. Um, that they, they <laughs> his sole job when when Arsenal were taking attacking corners was to block the Crystal Palace player from moving towards the intended target of the corner. That's probably the best. That's probably the best way to describe it. Probably the best way to describe it. And he did it very well. However, I would just like to put it out there that to me, if your sole job is to stand in the middle of the penalty area and essentially obstruct a player moving towards the ball, I think you know what I'm going to say here. Why is that not a foul? If you did, that in, if you did that in open play, what do you mean prove, prove it? it? If you did that in open play... If you did that in open play, put your body between yourself and a player who was running for a ball that was 10 yards away, you'd be pulled up for a f- obstruction, a foul. If, in this instant, Trossard is blocking a defender and that defender thinks the only way I can get past this guy obstructing me is to push him out of the way, they'll probably give a penalty. It doesn't seem right to me. However clever and cute it is, to me it's, it looks like a foul. Why, why is it not a foul? 
You're saying because prove it. Well, it's, it's a foul. It's obstruction. It, no, no, but proving it is is vitally important. Um, you know, for for officials to do. You know, VAR is there, and so while I think that you're right in the intention of of Trossard, it was to block. Players are very cute about the way they go about it. It's about it, 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 you know, it's it's about nullifying in that moment Anderson to go and head the ball. So he'll move into a space. Anderson will run into him, but essentially, you know, Trossard is it. it that's what he's trying to stop. But that's that that that's Trossard's particular space at one moment, and he just stands in the space. And Anderson, because the ball is so good, Trossard knows where he needs to go. Anderson then tries to react, but it's too late. And the ball on the money, Gabriel up, and uh, and you know to the the first two goals, um, which Arsenal scored uh, came from that. But it you know when I say prove it, it if if, if it's done right, if it's done well, uh, which it really was by Arsenal, unless the player uh, makes it so obvious in that situation, uh, and 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 say wrestles Anderson, um, which he didn't, then the goal is always going to be awarded. <laughs> Roy Hodgson's up against it. There was quite a, uh, uh, I was going to say heartbreaking, that, that's too strong, strong a word for it. It was quite a painful image of Roy at full time looking across at banners that were being held up in the away end by Crystal Palace uh, supporters. Um, the main one says, said, wasted potential on and off the pitch, weak decisions taking us backwards, no shared vision, no structured plan um palace fans aren't happy i think that's um i think that's one win in 12 now for palace no they're um, not palace fans uh, not happy football fans want everything don't they and and they and they want it now uh i think i don't i mean it's a well used phrase that football fans need to be careful what they wish for you know those banners were an attack on roy hodgson and they are attack on uh Parish and uh, Steve Parish and the board, weren't they? Um, but you actually look at Crystal Palace as a club over this last decade, believe it or not. Uh, Palace fans may think that the the football has been uh, pretty bland and pretty boring, and there's not the ambition. But it's been the most successful period, as far as I can see, in the club's history. And you you think about that for a minute if you go back to the uh i'd I'd look through the palace history i'm not really overly familiar with the club you go back to the early 70s they had four years in the top flight i don't remember the early 70s i was just born there but then i do remember the end of the 80s when palace got to the fa cup final they ended up losing in a replay uh they finished uh third in the premier league 1991 I think it was under Steve Koppel and this was the era of uh, of Ian Wright and Mark Bright. I think it was a, there was a young Gareth Southgate uh, emerging, Nigel Martin, Eric Young, I think uh, Andy Thorne, players, players I, you know, at the beginning of my career, I played against John Solarco, you know, a really excellent team. And then the first year of the Premier League, they got they got relegated. Then they became a little bit of a yo-yo club. They got relegated um, again in 97-98 and it took them six years to get back to the Premier League, to the top flight again. And Simon Jordan was in charge at this particular time. 
Uh, he brought Ian Dowie in, who, and they got up through the playoffs. I can't actually remember the the game, but Neil Shipley scored the winning goal against West Ham, and they went down again the following season. They spent eight more years in the Championship up until uh, 2013-14, and then they've had this period a decade in the Premier League, and I think that that's been a real success. And the issue is... Uh, as far as I can see, that Palace fans will be looking at other clubs, uh, and there aren't too many of them, but clubs like Brighton, and they will want the Brighton brand of football. They will want, um, you know, a Roberto De Zerbi playing this high-risk football, getting on the right side of recruitment. But it hasn't all been that bad. You could chuck Brentford into the mix. But what I would say to Crystal Palace fans is... In five years from now, could they guarantee that Brighton and Brentford will be further ahead of their club? And, and, and will their clubs be better run than, than Crystal Palace? I'm not so sure they would be. What I would say, and uh, th- this is cautionary for Crystal Palace fans, is you can look at Brighton and say, well, you know, they're a fantastic model at this moment in time. I, I went to watch Norwich City at the weekend, beat West Bromwich Albion, and they, and they played pretty well. Okay, But in that 10-year period of Crystal Palace... Uh, being a stable Premier League club. Norwich City have been up and down uh, to the championship, or down and up, I should say. I think uh, they've been uh, promoted four times, relegated four times. So they have been you know, a massive yo-yo club. And they're playing counter-attacking football in the championship. Every Norwich City fan would, would, would rather have a club run like Crystal Palace a run. And I'll give you I'll give you West Bromwich Albion as well. Look at look at the, the the issues they've had over this last decade. Look at Leeds. Look at Coventry. Look at Sunderland. Look at Middlesbrough. Look at Blackburn Rovers. Look at Swansea. Look at Birmingham. Look at Stoke. Look at QPR. Look at Sheffield Wednesday. Think about their struggles. Look at the likes of of Derby and Charlton and the way their clubs have been run and fallen away. Look at Everton. Look at Nottingham Forest. Look at the financial. Uh, issues that their clubs have had by sailing too close uh, to the wind. So Palace really, I think their fans should think about and show far greater respect to their owner for running a stable and a steady ship. Okay, it's, uh, you know, I think Steve Parrish uh, going into every, every Premier League season, they may think he's too cautious and just want to survive. And maybe success is survival for Crystal Palace. But I think over the over the whole, he's brought the likes of uh, Eze to the club from QPR, Elise to the club. So when these when, when so when Crystal uh, Palace fans are putting up their uh, banners, wasted potential on and off the pitch. Everybody wants more weak decisions. Well, tell us what those weak decisions are, because bringing Roy Hodgson back after Vieira, where there was a you know a different brand of football, an exciting brand of football, but that seemed to be a personal thing between Vieira. And uh, and certain members of the hierarchy, as far as I could see, but Hodgson came back and did more than stabilise the club. They weren't sure about who to bring in uh, this season. I think they dithered a bit at the start of the season. And Roy has this reputation of being pragmatic. And do you know what? He'll keep them up again this season. So I think that Steve Parrish and Roy Hodgson deserve far greater respect than uh, than they got at the weekend from Palace fans. It's a powerful argument, um, stability 
um, financial stability, stability on the field. I understand that, but I equally understand that, and I said to you before, that clubs that aren't moving forward aren't really doing anything. And that is the issue here. The last six seasons that Crystal Palace have had in the in the Premier League, um, they've finished 11th, 12th, 14th, 14th, 12th and 11th. And they always get between 43 and 49 points. So it's the same every season, it's on repeat. And I think if you're a Palace fan, especially given what happened with the Vieira appointment, that's where the frustration comes in. They, they, they let Roy go, ushered in Vieira, told everybody they were going to do things differently, told everyone they were going to play different different style of football, more exciting football, more entertaining football. And then as soon as as soon as Vieira's reign started to wobble in the kind what, of back end right. of, but that, but, of last but, but, season, but, but, they, they got rid of him. But this is important, OK? And this is something which I'm not totally on top of. And But I, I, I said it a moment ago. Why did Vieira leave? Crystal Palace. Do do you think it was just purely because of footballing reasons? I think there were communication issues behind the scenes. There you go. However, but they would have they would have put up with that had the football been okay. But they stopped scoring goals and they panicked. They thought they were going to go down, so they got and they couldn't count and they couldn't they couldn't countenance the possibility of that. They got rid of him. They tore up the new plans that they had and went back to Roy. And I think that. Is what is at the is what is at the bottom of this. This is not a dig at Roy. Roy's had a great career and he's done a very very good job now in two periods at Crystal Palace. However, they are standing still, and football clubs that stand still let other clubs go past them. And you've mentioned them: Brighton, Brentford, and others. But anyway, look. I've, I've also get, I've, I've no. also I've also mentioned the best part of a dozen clubs. I you know I could go deeper. I think of Blackpool uh, clubs over a Premier League era who have had this this. Uh, this uh, unbelievable dream and ambition who have chucked money at it, who are now, who have fallen away, who are, who are struggling like mad, who, who, whose owners have been massive gamblers and they've just thrown good money after bad. And, and all I would say, I'll go back to watching Norwich City at this moment in time, who have become a counter-attacking team in the championship, and they got a chance of coming off, uh, coming up through the playoffs. I, you know, I know where most Norwich City fans would rather be at this moment in time, and the club is run well. But, um, but it's un, not under enough, Steve Parish. But, it, but, it, but it's not enough for when, a set when of football when, fans. When have, when, have, when have Palace ever, with the greatest respect to Palace, when have Palace ever had? Uh, a, a, a winning, a, you know, a winning history. They're not Manchester United. I think you it's look. Not, you, you, it's, their, their greatest success was finishing third in the old Division One. They've won. I, you know, I looked at cups. They've won. They've won the full members' cup. I didn't even know that cup exists. I can remember it but vaguely. That, but, they've won. But they've won not, the London Challenge Cup, the Surrey Senior Cup, the the Kent Senior Shield. I mean that you it's know they, they don't an, have a history. So so when you've had the best the best the best period in your in your club's history, just be careful what you're wishing for. If you want your, if, if you not, want to go wild in the uh, in the transfer not, market, it's not enough to as for a set of supporters to say to themselves, "Oh well, things aren't particularly good at the moment." But it, but then again, they never have been, so that's okay. And it's not enough to say things aren't very good at the moment, but then the lot's worse at that club over there. So maybe we should be happy. That's not okay, enough. Okay, that's not enough. Oh, well, Chris. hang on a minute. It's so, not enough. So, so tell us it's where. Not enough. So so all right. Well, tell us. Um, so the banner wasted potential on and off the pitch. Where you tell me. I, I think I think that is what they mean. I think that the, the point, the underlying point here, is that they haven't 
kicked on from they haven't used the stability as a trampoline to get them going forward. That or as a launch pad to get them going forward. That's the that's point. Fa- that's, that's very the point, vague. Chris. That's very vague. That's weak point. decisions. Well, Where well, are the weak decisions? Well, the weak decision will the weak decision will be going will be going back to Roy. Mm. I would imagine we'll be go we'll be saying we'll be saying at one. Hang on, let me answer. We'll be saying at one point. Okay, we've, we've, we've Roy's done a great job for us, but now it's time to move on and do something else. And then eight months later, sacking the new guy and going back to Roy. That I'd imagine that would be the bit that they think was weak. I mean, I'm not short, a short Palace memories, fan, haven't they? Chris. Short memories. That, yeah, Roy at the end of last all, season. Not, but short all memories. Football, all football fans deserve to uh, deserve the opportunity to want progress. I'm not saying. I'm not even saying they're right, Chris. I'm not even saying they're, they're right. right. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is that where it comes from. Now, very, very quickly, is Kieran Trippier right to consider a move? to Bayern Munich from Newcastle or is he being disloyal? Bayern Munich, so to Bayern Munich from Newcastle, is he being disloyal? This has come out of the blue. I didn't. I don't know what's going on at Newcastle uh, at this moment in time. I mean, from where they, they seem to be a happy, content club a couple of months ago. I mean, it's all, it's all kicking off. All these players who are unsettled. Trippier, Callum Wilson, Joe Linton may not sign a, a new deal. They can't bring players in. I mean, there's this uncertainty now. Is Trippier right to leave? I think it's a bit of a slap in the face to Newcastle United supporters. You know what I think? I think that a kid, he starts starts in in Manchester City's youth youth setup, does a couple of spells at Barnsley on loan because he can't get a look in it at City. Eventually, eventually realizes he's not going to play at City. Goes to Burnley, proves himself at Burnley, gets a move to Tottenham, does well at Tottenham, becomes an England fullback. Plays in World Cup semi-final, um, um, goes goes from there abroad. Goes to takes the, the the step to go to Atletico Madrid, where he does well. Comes to Newcastle, has been a vital part of what Newcastle have done there. Um, superb every game he plays, and all of a sudden, towards the end of that career, towards the end of that career, I think he's thirty-one. I wrote it down somewhere, but I can't see it now. Um, towards the end of that career, it gets an opportunity opportunity to go and play at a club like Bayern Munich I think I think I think fair play to you I, I think fair play to you I think you're not, I don't think you're not a loyalty guy are you I am actually I am but I am to a degree but I also understand to, that to a I'm a person who I'm no but I'm a person who thinks that when a player gets an opportunity a real career defining opportunity to go to a place like Bayern Munich I don't blame them if they take it. Having said that, you'd Bayern walk Munich away. Lost. You'd walk away from this pod if you got a better offer, wouldn't you? Our big man, little man you'd partnership. You'd be, you'd be offered the drop of a hat, more money. You're a mercenary. Can I just say something to you on that? On from that point of view, there's a mobile phone here on the desk next to me. And this mobile phone, right, is never more than a foot away from me wherever I go, and it never rings. It never rings, mate. The phone ain't ringing. I don't think the offers are coming. I don't think the offers are coming. So it's me and you for the foreseeable, whether you like whether you, whether you like uh, that or not. Now, Bayern Munich lost lost again this weekend. Lost at home to Werder Bremen. Seven points behind Leverkusen now. Seven points behind Leverkusen. Harry, you've got to come home, mate. Harry, you're out of the, you're out of the German <laughs> Cup. You've got to come home. You're not gonna get your you're not gonna get your medal at Bayern. You've got to come home. Mm. Come back to Tottenham, mate. Come back to Tottenham. Um, hey, right, let's play. Listen, 
Listen, I'm going to stand by what I said. I think Harry uh, will be looking at what's going on at Spurs, watching their brand of football. I think there's a bit of jealousy Hang on a there. Minute. Hang on a, a bit minute. of jealousy, on a Harry. I was, I was the one at the start of the season who said he'd made a mistake going to, to Bayern and should have stayed at Tottenham. And you ridiculed me for that. Let's play some five-a-side. Are you ready to rank off? It's time for five-a-side. Well, well, I went last week, didn't I, uh, with uh, the best five midfielders in the Premier League. Um, and uh, yeah, it got a bit of traction. There was a bit of anger about me not putting Steven Gerrard in, but it was hard. Your top five, one to five, were Scholes, Keane, De Bruyne, Lampard, Vieira. And yeah, you did get some heat on social media for not including uh, Steven Gerrard. And, and, and from a Norwich City supporter at the weekend, Ian Crook. Should have had Crookie. A couple of people mentioned, mentioned uh, Claude McAuley yep. on Twitter. Um, David Silver got some mentions, but no, Stephen Gerald, the, the the bigger the bigger mission from uh, from was a general viewpoint. Mm. So anyway, my turn this week. Yeah. So this week's five aside. Um, now there's a link here because Troy Deeney uh, didn't last long, did he at, uh, at Forest Green? He called out uh, his players. I don't know whether you'd describe it. No, in fact, I would describe it as a bit of a managerial meltdown. So what I want from you is you to rank your top five managerial meltdowns, Ian. This this kept me up for a bit last night, actually, because there were so many to choose from and you don't want to miss many out. It kept me up a while. This gave, gave, me, um, gave me a bit of a headache working all this out. But I'm going to go in ascending order. So that is from... Fifth up to up to first in ascending order. My top five. So quickly, Kevin Keegan resigning as England manager in the toilet at Wembley in October 2000. All the players getting changed, uh, some in the shower, um, steam coming out of the showers. No, he wants to resign, doesn't know where to go. The only place he can go to, to meet the uh, FA chief executive at the time, David Davis, was in the toilet, resigns in the toilet um, number four Nigel Pearson manager of Leicester 2015 getting so wound up at one press conference that he called a, a newspaper reporter an ostrich accused him of having his head stuck in the sand because <laughs> of an ostrich I, I, I had to, to apologise for that one mm. um, seven years seven years earlier Joe Kinnear I'd forgotten that Joe Kinnear was even manager of Newcastle Joe Kinnear manager of Newcastle um didn't uh, take training on his first day in charge. Ch- chose to um, to meet the board, talk to the board, rather than actually go to training ground. Local um, uh, Newcastle supporters, local journalists didn't like it. He then did his introductory press conference to meet the Newcastle media for the first time, sat down, started his press conference by saying, which one of you is Simon Bird? Simon Bird was and still is very, very well-regarded uh, Northeast football writer for the Daily Mirror. Which one is? Which one of you is Simon Bird? Simon puts his hand up. It's me. Well, you're a four-letter expletive <laughs> beginning with C. And what followed in the next five minutes were 50 more expletives. He essentially just absolutely just destroyed the whole room. I was looking at the transcript last night. Absolutely extraordinary. Not a surprise. He didn't last very long. Uh, number two. Arsene Wenger sent off at Old Trafford for uh, uh, a manager of Arsenal, 2009. Um, 
Uh, they had a late goal disallowed for offside, an equaliser for Robin Van Persie. Wenger kicks a bottle quite um, accurately and adroitly down the touchline, by the way. Probably couldn't, probably couldn't do that again if he tried. We talked about Kevin Sinfield last week. Uh, Sir Kev would have been proud of that one. Kicks a water bottle, gets sent off, but doesn't know where to go. Can't get up to the director's box. There's only a couple of minutes left. Ends up standing on this kind of platform behind the dugouts. Um, I was watching the video again this morning. Martin Tyler on Sky Commentary described him as described him as Kinky Newt trying to stop the tide. I mean, to me, he looked more like he looked, he looked more like an aging Mr. Bean to me, to be honest. Um, and finally, and number one in first position, everybody remembers this. I was actually there at the Etihad Stadium. Boxing Day 2008, Hull City 4-0 down at halftime and their manager, Phil Brown, who we all love to bits and is still managing now into his 60s, Phil Brown decides it's a good idea to give his team talk on the pitch. Sits the players down in front of the away end Gives the uh, gives his team talk on essentially admonishes his players, bollocks his players in full view of the way end, thinking that would elicit a better performance. It didn't. They still lost the game heavily, and there were some Hull players who've subsequently gone on record as saying as that was the moment when they began to lose faith in their manager. And there you go. There's my there's yeah, my top. There's my five side. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick you up on uh, on a few of those. I think you could have done, I think you could have done better there. Kevin Keegan, remember, remember Kevin Keegan. I would love it. I would love it. Of course, I would love it yeah, if we yeah. beat them. Uh, that has to be in Terrible, there for me. Can, can, you, can you remember Harry Redknapp um, on a training ground doing an interview, and, oh. and he gets hit by a ball? Superb, superb. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's so angry. And then he, he loses his head and then he, then he mutters something like, no wonder he's in the reserves. That's and right. That's exactly uh, what he's doing, yeah. And then, uh, but but you've missed the greatest uh, the greatest managerial meltdown. And there were a few uh, of all time. John Sitton, the Leighton Orient manager. What, what, he, bring, he, you di- bring, bring your dinner? Uh, bring yeah, your dinner? He, 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 offered, he offered his own players out. Uh, I say out uh, for, for for a fight at halftime, and he sacked Terry Howard at halftime. <laughs> he sacked one of his players at halftime. He said he liked Terry, but he's he's is uh, is sacking him. Uh, but that he had some incredible meltdowns. I mean, you've got to watch him. But I, I don't think anybody gets near him on the planet. John Sitton is that the one that he ended said and bring your dinner, yeah, bring your dinner, and Terry, you're sacked. The be- by the way, the best Harry Redknapp, and this is not a meltdown, you mentioned Harry. There's a great story of Harry Redknapp being at the West Ham training ground when he was manager. And it's fair play that Harry, I don't think Harry would mind us saying that occasionally as a manager, he could be a little bit economical with the truth, Harry, when he was trying to get deals done and things. And I think there was, was a player called Paolo Sousa at West Ham, mm. or am I getting the yeah, name yeah, wrong? Think, yeah. Anyway, he's at the training ground in the car park, been interviewed by reporters. And they're saying, what about such and such, Harry? You're signing him, aren't you? And he's going, no, no, lads, no, no. I don't know what you mean, lads. No, no. No, you are. We know. We know you are. He's at the. He's at the club. He's. He's on trial. No, no, no. I don't know what you mean. Don't know. Never seen the bloke. And then one of the reporters said, "Harry, I'm not being funny, mate." But he's over there. And they, could, they could see him. They could see him over Harry's shoulder. So Harry then turns around and goes, oh, that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> oh, well, those, I tell you what, those those are the days when he could just rock yeah. up, rock up and interview managers in the training ground car park. <laughs> Never get within a mile of the place without an invitation and a special security bracelet these days. Um, anyway, there we go. That's our fire side. Uh, please remember to uh, please feel free to. Um, tell us what you think of those. There's so many out there to choose from. Let us know what your favourite members are, or your favourite managers, or even managers that you didn't like. While you're at it, please remember to subscribe to the podcast if if you would. Now you mentioned Troy Deeney. I want to briefly go back to that. Um, so so we we called him out last week for what he said about his players. He was then sacked on Thursday. He was also charged by the FA with misconduct on Thursday for something that he'd said to officials in one of his games at Forest Green. I mean, Troy still isn't really getting it. He then um, wrote a column for the Sun newspaper in which he claimed that he'd been used by the club for his contacts contacts and his pulling uh, power. And when he talked about... um, When he talked about... uh, his misconduct charge uh, by the FA. Um, he'd, be, he'd abused a linesman, apparently. And he said, he said, I admit I called the linesman a weasel, but maybe I use that word in a different context to how it's been interpreted. So my question, on the, my question on the back of that is, is when is a weasel not a weasel? Well, how do you call someone a weasel in anything, in anything other than the obvious context you call someone a weasel he's a weasel yeah now before we before we finish and we are going to finish in a minute so do you remember last week on our thursday podcast you were talking about troy deeney coming back to play for brentford and you said oh he's been playing some games he's been playing warm-up games he's played in a he's played in a couple of bounce games sorry ivan tony Ivan Tony coming back to play for Brentford, and you were talking about how he'd been playing playing some warm up games, and you said, "Oh, he's played in a, he's played in the bounce game," and I said to you, "What on earth is a bounce game?" And you said, "Well, it's just a term for what we use in the game for kind of you know uh, friendly games or casual oh, games." Turns out, turns out that that term is is um, has its origins in Scotland, ah. and it's basically and it's called a bounce game because that's what the referee does at the start of the game. He just drops the ball. In the middle of the pitch, and off you go. It's like a drop. Well, that's why it's called a bounce game. Is that that's right? Why it's called a bounce but game. they don't. That's they they don't. I know you don't like follow Scottish football much. They they don't do that up there now. They may as well. They'd probably. Well, if they did that, it'd probably be the only chance of the op. It'd probably be the only chance the opposition would have of getting the ball off Celtic if you started every game with a drop ball. Come on. To be perfectly honest, right? Moments of the weekend. You first. Um, well, I'm going to have to go back to last week. Um, I gave you a massive compliment on the Thursday show, congratulating you for uh, for being put up for an award. And the producer, Henry, took it out of the pod. I don't know why. I don't know why he doesn't want you getting uh, any any praise oh, or I'm credit. Uh, but no, well done. Well done. Your career has been on the up. I haven't won it. No, but you've been nominated. It. it shows there is some, some talent in there. So, no, a genuine, genuine well done. Really pleased for you. You deserve it. You're so sincere. No, I don't want to. I'm trying to be nice, and you you don't want to take you don't want to take my praise. You you are the most sincere bloke of all the insincere blokes that I've ever met. (laughs) And what you're looking at here is false modesty, by the way. But is that really your moment of the weekend? You've not got anything anything else to add apart from that. I I didn't like Henry cutting that out, and I've had words with with Henry. I know where he lives, Um, uh, but genuine. 
Well done, you. You are a talent. You don't look talented, but you are. <laughs> he's always on the move, Henry. Have you noticed that? In every one place, in every one place at the same same time, makes me makes me very suspicious. That does right. Thank you for that. Uh, my moment of the week. My moment of the weekend. So, <clears throat> um, Jose Mourinho has lost his job at Roma, as we know. Um, he's been replaced on a temporary basis by Daniel De Rossi, former Roma player, and somebody um, brought to my attention um, something that uh, De Rossi once said about the modern player when he said, "When I see them do their Instagram." videos in the locker room before a game i'd like to take a baseball bat to their teeth so That's, i think yeah. we can see what type of think we can see what type of manager roma are, go, are, are going to get um now jose um sacked sack by roma um he also won he's he's he, as david moyes of course is one manager who've won the footballing equivalent of the egg and spoon race europa conference league jose won it as well um, with Roma um, and also got to the Europa League final that Roma lost on penalties but, but in all seriousness that was the, the Europa Conference League was the first bit of silverware that Roma had lost for many many uh, had won for many many years they are they are very very grateful to Mourinho and there was a couple of banners uh, they won at the weekend their first game without him there were some banners <clears throat> held up in his honour I just love the kind of the effort and the depth that, that football sporters go to these days when they're, thank, when they're kind of making their feelings known. This one said, the smiles you gave us and everything you stood for will always be respected. You defended us against everything and everyone. Roma doesn't forget. Thank you, Mr. Jose. The only one to defend us. The last one to surrender. Obligado, Jose. Few of us have represented us the way you did. Every Roman Easter will be grateful to you. Blimey. I mean, do you remember when banners just used to say things like up the reds or sack or sack the or sack the board? Or, or you know, I mean it's, 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 now now it's kind of an essay. Now it's an essay. And we're kind of back to where we started. Letter writing, essays, and all the rest of it. Okay, mate, let's leave you there for this week. That's been a long show. It's been a, a good show, an enjoyable show. And please remember to subscribe. Uh, please remember to come back again on Thursday when we'll be doing our It's All Kicking Off weekend preview show ahead of the FA Cup fourth round but most importantly of all please remember to be back again next monday for the next edition of this one um, i'm ian laderman um the fully paid up member of the roy hodgson fan club is chris sutton and this has been it's all kicking off 